This is the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. I'm Matt Addison with Dan Kay and Theo Squires alongside me this afternoon. Welcome along to those of you who are watching us live and of course to those who are watching back later on too. On today's agenda, transfers as ever, Lionel Messi leaving Barcelona and then a preview of Liverpool's next two friendlies, Athletic Bilbao on Sunday and then Osasuna on Monday. Liverpool, of course, played last night two 60-minute matches against Bologna, winning 2-0 and then 1-0 against the Serie A side. Myself and our Liverpool correspondent, Paul Gore, spoke in depth about that last night for the debrief. So if you do want some talk about that, you can do so there. That's the post-game podcast for those of you listening on Blood Red YouTube um, and podcast channels. We're going to start the agenda, though, slightly differently for this episode of the show, just to to mix things up. We'll uh, go for a bit of transfer chat to begin with. We'll talk about Lionel Messi of course at some point later on but uh, Dan last night Manchester City announced Jack Greenish for 100 million slightly overshadowed a little bit by that Messi news but it will impact Liverpool as a sort of regular Liverpool match going fan what do you sort of make of, of Manchester City's business this summer and are you at all sort of worried about the, the future and, and what it might mean for the Reds? I don't know if worried is, is the right way to put it I mean Manchester City have been a supreme football side, supreme, a supremely funded football side for uh, for quite some time now. Do seem to remember Pep Guardiola saying not too long before the end of the season that oh they, they couldn't afford to be buying any expensive forward players or any 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 blue chip footballers like that because it wasn't within their means. But I don't think anybody really took that seriously at the time. And obviously events have very much proven that to be the case with uh, Grealish now signing for what's reported to be a a British record fee of 100 million. And obviously, supposedly, they're still in the mix to try and uh, extricate Harry Kane from his situation at Tottenham. The reality is, you know, it's it's never been a fair fight between Liverpool and City from the get-go, has it? Um, I, I did see some figures released over the last week or so, you know, the mythical net spend numbers. And Liverpool are, you know, in terms of like the 18, 20 teams in the top flight, you know, round about mid-table, they, they, in terms of the net spend, they've spent an absolute fraction of what City have, and yet taking last season's obviously freakish injury hit campaign out of the equation, Liverpool have competed with Man, Man City and pushed them pretty much every step of the way for the last two or three years. So <clears throat> you get the impression that, you know, for a while now, Jurgen Klopp has used Liverpool. And, you know, it's important to say Liverpool aren't some kind of paupers, you know what I mean? Liverpool have still still bought big money footballers, but they've balanced the books by and large. You know, they, ha- they, they, they are not state-funded like City are. That, that is the reality of it, isn't it? And I, you get the impression that those within Anfield, you know, certainly in the dressing room, but also particularly in the stands, use this as a kind of motivating tool. Of, you know, the, despite our relative lack of means, we have had City, maybe not running scared for a couple of years, but certainly know that we are very much, of course, a force for the reckoning, and a team that can very much have you know have their measure at times. So um, Liverpool are entering a, a you know a, a different peer, a different era on the clock now. You know the, the first great team of his that won the league and the European Cup. <clears throat> we all hope still has some juice left in it, but they are starting to <clears throat> age somewhat, and they are there is going to have to be a kind of evolution of that. <clears throat> and it's going to be intriguing to see you know how they're able to. <clears throat> do this kind of change over the squad, <clears throat> build build another great side, we hope, while at the same time uh, getting results together. 
it's, you know, it's great to see the likes of Van Dijk and some of the injured players from last season coming back. And I think if Liverpool can start well and get a bit of momentum behind them, then you know we, we the, the, there's nothing to be frightened of in terms of Man City. Yes, they've got some great players, but Liverpool have proved that they're a better team at them at times. Individuals don't always make a team, and it remains to be seen whether the likes of Grealish and Kane or whoever else will actually make, will actually make City a better team. It does, though, just underline, doesn't it, Theo, what Liverpool are up against. And I suppose it just puts into perspective the kind of achievements that they've had over the last few seasons. Man City, Manchester United this summer as well, spending big Liverpool, not in that same boat, but very much in that same boat in terms of the quality of, of the squad that they have. Yeah, I've written about this uh, a couple of times already during this transfer window. This one where Liverpool's response to filling the gaps in their squad, they did um, was it two, three years ago now when they spent big bringing in Van Dijk, Alisson, Fabinho and that spine of the squad has just been in place ever since and they've managed to have that continued success. That was Liverpool's response there and it's one where even with the injury issues they had, you know when the players are fit, the squad is well balanced. The only thing they really needed was the centre-back and that's what they've gone out and done Canate. Now it's whether you need another squad option in midfield, another squad option up front, but it's not in terms of starting eleven. Whereas you look at City, they needed players in that starting eleven. So did uh, United, so did Chelsea. And it is the, the big money ones, the ones they've gone for. Why United have gone for Ran and Sancho? Why City are going for Grealish and Kane? Oh, the interesting one with regards to Grealish is, is he even first choice for them when you think of the players they've got? Like It's all very well spending big on who they've got and they've got depth there. And it's whether you question the quality of the lesser players. But City have spent so much. Like, I, can't, I can't remember the figures off the top of my head. But when you think you've got Raheem Sterling there, who's nearly 50 million, Bernardo Silva, Riyad Mahrez, who would have been, what, 60 million, Phil Foden's still there, Gabriel Jesus wouldn't have been cheap, De Bruyne can play in that front three, there's just uh, Fer Ferran Torres, there's so many options they already had. It's, well, Torres was one for the future for them a little bit. Mahrez or Sterling, they might be getting a bit tired of, and Grealish is an exciting new toy for Guardiola to play with. But he was still behind Foden and Sterling in the pecking order for England at the Euros. He's not definitely going to be first choice in this team. But the fact that they can go and spend £100 million on who could be a squad player just shows that the market there. And Harry Kane, he would be a different story for them because he would be this first choice number nine. We know what he can bring. But then it's what City have always done. Like We're talking about Liverpool being an ageing squad and they have to replace and it's just not been able to do it now. They've still got legs in the life of the like the players like Salah, Van Dijk and all this. But City, I suppose, have had that change in the guard too when you think of Aguero, company, David Silva. The only difference is it's not a big song and dance when they go and get these replacements in because they've done it so many times and half of them have failed and they'll just go and spend another 50, 60 million again. Like you think how much John Stones cost the poor... Nathan Ake, Ruben Diaz. That's four big money centre-backs just to cover the loss of company and it sort of came together for him last year. You think, well, Kane would be the Aguero replacement, but they've just got so much money to throw at it. It isn't a new situation for Liverpool. They know they're in this boat. It is just how they deal with it. The, the fact that they missed out on the title by one point in one year and they won it so emphatically the next, it would have been a hell of a lot closer last year if not for those injuries. But they need to find a way to get that momentum to go again to show that they are still in the title race, they are still in the hunt and that they're not going to fall away because they don't have that funds. The only concern is before it has been a two-horse race between Liverpool and City, this could easily end up being a four-horse race when you look at what City, um, not just City, sorry, what United and Chelsea are doing as well. 
I think I uh, saw a tweet last night after the Jack Grealish move that someone had worked out the average cost of Manchester City's senior squad, £41 million per player, which is really quite remarkable across all of that depth. But uh, And just in terms of Jack Grealish, former Liverpool managing director Christian Perslow, now at, at, at Aston Villa, I should say, of course, now came across really well, I thought, in a, a video message that, that he sent to fans. He sort of explained the, the reasons behind letting Grealish move. He was really open and, and honest about how that had come about. And I think that's something that maybe clubs could learn from in future. I think it was really quite refreshing to, to see that sort of honesty. I didn't see the interview myself, but I did see a couple of tweets relating to it. One of them actually said, Perslow does not have a particularly high regard amongst Liverpool supporters, but in terms of what he's done for Villa and how this has been explained in PR terms, he couldn't really have done a better job in this instance. I think, you know, it's, you know, Aston Villa are a historically great football club. You know, one of the few clubs in this country to have been champions of Europe when, you, you know, when it was the elite competition. But the reality is, over the last couple of decades, they've not been big hitters. Um, you know, I think this is this will be only what the third year back in the Premier League after being relegated by a mile in 2016, I think. So I think for even if if, if it will obviously be a very very disappointing situation for Villa fans. I read a terrific article on one of our sister sites, the Birmingham Mail, last night from a, you know one of their reporters, a Villa fan, and it did very much strike me at the time how this they must be feeling really how we might have felt in 2004-05 had Steven Gerrard bailed to Chelsea when it looked like that was inevitably going to happen. Um, even though, yeah, well, we would always say Liverpool had been a bigger club, have always been a bigger club than Villa. In 2004-05, Liverpool were nowhere near the big prizes. Uh, you know, you know, in, in much the same way that Villa are. So he, he had a job to do there to, 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 to get his message across. I think Villa have been quite savvy in terms of how they've Handle the situation that they've got a couple of players in. Obviously, they got Buendia, didn't they? Right at the, you know, quite early on in the summer, they got Danny Ings in a couple of days. But was there someone else in the last couple of days? Leon Bailey. Leon Bailey, thank you from from Leverkusen. So I think that's 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 a kind of cushions the blow a little bit to at least get a couple. You know, it, it shows that you know, obviously they presumed that this was paid for with the money they knew they knew they were getting for Grealish, but uh, I saw I saw something from someone just before basically saying Villa could be one of the few players to. To sell their best player and arguably end up stronger, um, yeah. and that yeah, that in some ways relates back to the point I was making about City before. You know, one of the great things about Liverpool under Jurgen Klopp is, by and large, the team has been greater than the sum of its parts. And I think when this Man City have won what four leagues in five years, and obviously dominated English football for quite some time now, but when they haven't been at their best, they have looked like a team of individuals. Grealish isn't a kid now. He's been, you know, he's got like 24, 25, but he's, he's been playing fairly regular for, for Villa, hasn't he, since he was 17, 18. So he does have quite a, got a lot of good experience there. But it, it'll be fascinating to see how it works out because, you know, we, we saw with, with, with City in the Champions League final, they're an outstanding, they've got an outstanding group of players and an outstanding manager. But sometimes they do overcomplicate things for themselves. They try to reinvent the wheel. And I think, you know, I think even some of their staunch of supporters would, would, would admit if they were being really honest with themselves that um, Guardiola was a bit too clever by half in that final in Lisbon against against Chelsea. So, yeah, th- th- there'll probably be a few, maybe Liverpool fans or certainly fans and some clubs around the around the Premier League looking at City's buys with some trepidation and thinking, "Bam, if they get Kane as well, they'd be unstoppable." But I just don't think football is as simple as that. You know, we've seen it time and time again that you know it's 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 
the clubs and the managers that are able to gel their players the best that are going to have the the most success and there's no guarantee that City will be able to do that. Yeah, it's an interesting one, isn't it? I think there's a, almost a parallel. I think Christian Perslow made this point himself, actually, in the video of, you know, as as Dan says there, Theo, making the best of a situation, getting in that money, reinvesting it, trying to, to make them a sort of more rounded side. It, it's almost a little bit like when Liverpool sold Felipe Coutinho and then bring in Alisson and Van Dijk. They, they get themselves to be in a better place by cashing in on one man and making sure that they get the, the spending right in, in other areas. Yes, well, when you look at Villa's squad from last season, obviously Jack Grealish was the talisman, talisman, the captain, the playmaker. But they had the front three all scored more goals than him. You think Ollie Watkins, he was a brilliant signing from Brentford. They've got Bertrand Traore and they've got El Ghazi. That, that is a good mid-table front three, one that can maybe push challenge for Europe. But then you look at the players they've brought in now, Buendia, Bailey and Ings. That could be a completely different front three and that could easily be a first-choice front three. So they've got great depth there now. They've signed really well and it's not exactly been cheap, has it? When you think Ings, Buendia and uh, Bailey, that's pretty much the whole 100 million gone there and then. And it will put the Villa in a good place. I think it's quite telling that they had to come out and make this statement because even though Jack Grealish is Villa through and through and all this, whatever Villa fans want to say, they're not happy that he's going. They know they're getting 100 million for him, but they think they've been let down somewhat because he's given himself as this big Villa fan who always stay and he's walking away now for money he's going to City and they've seen it before with Fabian Delft and they hated that at the time but he wasn't an Aston Villa boy Jack Grealish is um, but you get the comparisons to Gerard. I suppose the difference is there when Gerard made the, uh, didn't make the move he still just won the Champions League he'd won the treble a few years before he played in the Champions League he'd played for England in tournaments for years and he was an established big player Whereas Grealish has only really burst onto the scene again um, following this promotion from the Championship. I don't think he's played in Europe. If he has, it might be like a couple of lowly rounds in the Europa League. He's not really won anything and he's still got to prove himself. So it is very different levels there. For him to really achieve what he wants to achieve, he had to move on. And that's where it's a completely different standard and why Villa have had to come out and do this statement to explain it all, to try and win the fans over. But it, it just shows football fans are never happy, are they? Like You can go and spend nearly 100 million on this brand new front three, which is really exciting. It should have Villa easily in top six, seven contention next year. But because that one player has gone, you're still going to have a few people with bottom lips about it, especially when it's Manchester City, when it's arguably a player they don't need. But yeah, it's just one of those, isn't it? It's what City do. It's what happens to most clubs in the Premier League when their star player has just been performing well for so long. I did like the uh, the irony, I suppose, that Dan pointing out there that City overcomplicate things, so they've just spent £100 million on a player who overcomplicates things. That'll go well. <laughs> yeah, very much so. Certainly a lot to, to sort of take in there. Just uh, in terms of, of this, before we move on to, to Messi, I'm going to sort of ask you both the, the same question, really. Considering all of the things that have happened so far in the transfer window, in terms of, of Liverpool as well. Obviously, they've signed Ibrahim Konate from RB Leipzig, done very early on, slightly forgotten, I think. But if the transfer window, Dan, was to close tomorrow, Liverpool went into the new season and, and couldn't buy anybody else to, to add to their squad. Would you be happy with the, the squad that Liverpool have now? Is that enough to challenge for the Premier League and the Champions League? Or do they need one or two more? I think we'd all like one or two more, but I certainly wouldn't be throwing the dummies out the pram if Liverpool do go into the season with what with what we've got now. I think we saw last season that 
Um, Liverpool are prepared to, to play a, a, a slight game of brinkmanship to a certain extent. And the, you know, these are possibly the two most unusual transfer windows that we've seen since this new system was put into place 20-odd years ago. I think 2002 was the first summer that a window came in at the end of the summer. Um, you know, previously, it was, it, was, it was open right the way through until the end of March. Um, and there are reasons for doing that. You know, Liverpool have feel they have a responsibility to run the club the right way within their means. And that has proven to be a successful tactic over the last, certainly over the last half a decade. So obviously we'd all like to see an, another couple of heads, you know, another couple of faces and, and exciting names in there. Um, you know, as we've said, as a blind man can see, this is, I don't like to use an ageing squad, but, you know, it's been one of the greatest Liverpool sides and squads I've ever seen in 35, 40 odd years and following them. But it is coming toward, not coming towards the end of the cycle. But it's it, it's never easy to kind of to replace players in that in in that context anyway. And it's even harder in the middle of a pandemic when obviously the club's finances have been hit so desperately hard. So, I, you know, I think what we also have to remember as well is that you know it, it is still an outstanding squad. There are some players in there who, because of injuries and lack of form and lack of fitness, or whatever might be kind of the, the cliched new signing, even though they're not a new signing. The likes of Minamino, Cater, Thiago, you know, players who we haven't really seen the best of yet. You know, and if that makes me sound like an FSG apologist to the Twitterati experts out there, well, I'm sorry. Um, but I hope we do get another an extra couple of heads in there. But if we don't, Jurgen Klopp won't be crying into his beer and neither will I. Yeah, certainly plenty of time left, Theo. What's, what's your sort of take on it at this stage? I was going to say, how technical are we being about the season starting tomorrow? Because if we're doing it on that and the window closing, that means City don't have a striker, Chelsea don't have a striker, and Varane's stuck in limbo somewhere across the channel. So <laughs> maybe not as bad as <laughs> Let, we thought. Let's do it then, yeah. <laughs> um, I'm reasonably happy with the squad and the fact that you've got players back from injury and there is the depth there. The only concern with the depth is whether they're consistently good enough over a long period. Because I don't think you've got many qualms about Shakiri coming off a bench or Minamino when you know they're on form and firing. The only problem in the past is the likes of them, Cater, Origi, even Oxlade-Chamberlain, they've been let down by injuries or they've not been able to put in the performances you'd want from them. So on paper, the squad is strong enough. There's a couple of places where you would want to improve it. But the starting eleven is definitely strong enough. And as we've seen before, it can easily rival City. It can easily challenge for these titles and win the murder City. The only issue now is there is that extra competition. Like assuming uh, Chelsea get Lukaku in and then United, if they're not done and they've still got to add to Varane and that they are in a so much stronger position, it is going to be a tighter title race. It's not going to be one side running away with it. And we all remember how stressful 18-19 was when it went down to the very wire when both teams just went half a season without losing. We'll throw in an extra two teams challenging into that mix. It's all very well saying you're happy with Liverpool's squad on paper. It's got the depth. It's got the names. But if they're not quite performing there, they are do seem like to be the ones that are going to fall short somewhat. And then it's also well, the age comes into it. The confidence comes into it. Like how much of a difference does fans coming back make for Liverpool, make for the rivals? There are all these added elements. Liverpool on their day can beat anyone and they can win the Premier League. They can win the Champions League but there will still be an element of doubt in some of that squad's minds about last season, um, how much of that was just to losing Van Dijk, losing to players for injury, or if you're at a Sadio Mane or Roberto Firmino, how much of it is you're not the player you were. 
there's so much for them all to prove and it can go one or two ways. Liverpool could start the season in amazing form, be back to the very best and last season was just a blip or it is the start of a decline and it's one where new signings always give you a boost, don't they? It's why fans love them so much. Like You can hear it from all the players over the years. Like You just read some of Steven Gerrard's books and it's like whenever he talks about a new signing coming in, that makes a difference. Like Liverpool knew whether they were going to have a good season or because they lift the standard so much. Canate seems to have settled in well, but if they could bring in another attacking player who's an upgrade on Origi, make, makes the impact like Yotta did last year. Yeah, it pushes a Minamino down the pecking order, but it would make a difference and it would ease fear somewhat when you think of how strong the, these title rivals are in all across the board when they've got that exciting new factor to play with. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Yeah, it could be a really exciting title race, I think, next season. As you say, four teams certainly thinking that they can go into the season and win it. But uh, yeah, we'll move on a little bit then to, to Lionel Messi. I think we've sort of covered enough of, of Grealish and, and Kane and, and the rest of it. Let's have a, a chat about possibly the greatest footballer of all time. He has officially down left Barcelona. There's still a bit of me that thinks he might end up staying there and, and being there next yeah. season, to be honest. You wouldn't but... be surprised, would you? Is it a case of wherever he goes, they would become automatic favourites for the Champions League, do you think? Well, he's only he's only going to go to one of a handful of clubs, isn't he? You know, Paris, Manchester City, Liverpool. Um, you know, and any club he goes to is already going to be a serious contender. So, obviously, he would, he would give them a better chance. Um, it, it, it will be a fascinating prospect that, that I think football fans around the world really will be looking at with a fair degree of intrigue because obviously he's been at Barcelona his entire professional career. How old was he? 15, 16, when he was still being injected with growth hormones to make him to make him a bit bigger and more robust. Well, that'd have been in the academy so, since he was like five. You can go back even further, Dan. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> La, La, La Masia. Um so, you know, and, and certainly, you know, from the early years of his career, once his kind of his genius became, started to really kind of blossom, their, you know, the Barcelona side really has been built around him and the whole kind of construct of the club really has been, you know, has been built around them. The, the, the choice of, of wording in the Barcelona statement was quite interesting, I thought, when they talked about his contribution to the aggrandizement of the club, which literally translates as kind of like making something bigger. And I suppose that's what he has done, isn't it, on and off the pitch? So um, you just wonder, you know, it, it, you know, there's a part of me, you know, that, that almost wants to see him go to somewhere like City because I just kind of think, would he upset the apple cart? Would it just all become the Lionel Messi show? He'd score some amazing goals. I'm sure they win plenty of games. But was a City team with Messi in it? You know, we've already seen in the last couple of years that kind of like I keep banging on about this team ethic that, that, that and, and team spirit that isn't always prevalent in in the likes of City, in the likes of Paris Saint-Germain as well, who obviously have, you know, hugely expensive, very talented footballers, but they don't always gel. And there is, a you know, maybe a, a hopeful, naive part of me that doesn't want to kind of face the reality of what it could be if everything clicked. It, obviously, he could go to City and everything clicks and they win everything, the Grand National, the Ryder Cup and the boat race. Um but yeah, he's he he. As far as I'm concerned, he is one of the greatest players of all time. I personally don't think you can put him on a pedestal above everybody else. He's absolutely in the very very top bracket, along with you know Pele, Maradona, Divock Origi. 
But <laughs> obviously, um, Dan remembers watching all three of them play live, don't you, Dan? <laughs> well, particularly Pele, yeah. Um, <laughs> but you know, it, 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 he's an outstanding footballer. You know, he's given us all a lot of enjoyment over the years as as football supporters, and I hope he he does able to have some decent swan song somewhere. Obviously, I just hope it doesn't hurt Liverpool too much. I think the most likely place, if he does leave Barcelona, Theo, is to go to PSG. Obviously, they've had a pretty decent summer in terms of, of their spending. Sergio Ramos has gone there. Obviously, Gini Wijnaldum, they've already got Neymar and Mbappe. I mean, I'm looking at that and thinking if you add Messi into that mix, Maurizio Pochettino as manager as well, if it does gel, they'd be some team. Well, you've missed off Donnarumma there in goal. They've been linked with uh, Paul Pogba. They've still got Di Maria. Uh, might not have the best number six in the world because he's at Liverpool, but or the best fullbacks in the world because they're at Liverpool. But the rest of the team, it's right up there, isn't it? And that front three would be terrifying: Mbappe, Messi, Neymar. Um, it does seem PSG are probably one of two teams who could actually afford him. And it's just what happens there. Like it, PSG have already got the egos, and they've always come close and they've fallen short because they've not quite pushed over the line, even when they're signing players like Buffon. But it does feel a bit different about them this year, doesn't it? It feels like Ramos in particular is going to get that winning mentality into them. Donnarumma is a level above any goalkeeper they've had before, including Buffon, because he, he was in decline by the time they'd got him. You think that, that squad's looking tasty. Wijnaldum and Pogba is a duo with whoever. Is it Idrissa Gay, whoever they've got left as a number six? Mm. That, that's looking really good midfield as well. And then if you went Man City, it's like, what, say Grealish, Foden, Mares, Sterling, De Bruyne, Messi, Kane. You're just going on and on and on. So many good attacking players. And they've got the egos already, so it, it suits them. And it's whether it makes too much of a difference to the wage bill. That This is why Liverpool cannot be in this conversation, because Messi's wage would have been, what, half a million a week at Barcelona. And I know the reports came out and said he was taking a 50% cut to stay. But that would have been, if you want to be simplistic about it, because the contract wouldn't have been like this, 250 grand. Well, that is still a good 50k more than Liverpool's highest earners. And then you're thinking, well, Salah could get a pay rise here. Van Dijk could get a pay rise here. They've just given Trent, Alisson, Fabinho new contracts. You've still got Thiago in there. Firmino, that contract, the wage bill's already rising enough. And then if you go and put in a Lionel Messi ahead of them all, how do they feel about all that? Do they have clauses in their contracts saying you're matching the highest earner and then you've got half the team on whatever you're giving Messi? It's just not feasible for most clubs to be in that conversation. Uh, what's interesting, I suppose, is that United aren't because a few years ago would have very much had them in the market for any player like this when they became available. They've always been the ones to sign the big names, but it is very much City have got the money and they've got Pep Guardiola. PSG, they've got the money and they've got Neymar, who he wants to play with again. What can they do? Champions League favourites, you would say at the moment, PSG. But then that's because they've been together for a good few years as a team. And now they've got these extra players that have seen it all, won it all. Whereas City still got to prove one or two things to really get it over the line. But Liverpool have beaten both of these teams in Europe before, haven't they? When they've got the bigger names, Liverpool were just special when they turn it on. It doesn't matter if they have a Messi or not. <laughs> as Barcelona found out a couple of years ago, if you live poor on their day, they will beat anyone. So you just got to hope that they are back to their best next season. And then it's one of those where you could win City points, you could win PSG Champions League games. But if they're coming to Anfield or Liverpool really at the races, you'd still fancy them to have a good go at it and maybe come out on top. 
I think PSG there would be my preferred destination for him. I know Dan's sort of saying there about being intrigued by the, the possibility of him coming to England. And there is a part of me that, that thinks that. But, you know, if he goes to PSG, at least, you know, he's he's not sort of impacting Liverpool week in, week out. It might just be, you know, a couple of Champions League knockout ties here and there. The, the only thing I wonder, sorry to jump in, is that, you know, Messi will have been on mega money for his entire career. You know, he must be a, a millionaire many, many times over. At this, you know, this is, yeah, he's got how, uh, how, how old is he, 35? Yep, 34. So I he's think, got maybe it? two or three seasons, really, where he can still, you know, potentially... Well, the, um, the agreed Barca contract was five years, so it would have been 39 if they had been allowed to sign it. Right. So, well, but, but I think realistic in terms of, like, you know, playing at the level that is best level, you're probably talking two or three years at the very top. Not doing a Roger Miller then. <laughs> well, you, 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 you wouldn't put it past him. He is, he is obviously a freak of nature. Maybe it's it's you know it's the old softy sentimentalist in me. But I would just love so, you know occasionally to hear of a footballer that puts like kind of football glory and ambition before money. Now, to be fair, as Theo's very eloquently made the point there, Paris Saint Germain have really constructed a very impressive looking squad there. And maybe you know he might look at it as kind of like you know a, 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 an enticing project to finally get them their first Champions League trophy. They've already been to one final when they lost to Munich the year before. But and and you know, to be honest, there's a part of me that wouldn't want to see him come to Liverpool because, as we all know, Klopp's whole thing is based on the team and the team ethic. And like what I've just said about City, he could just as easily disrupt that at Liverpool if, 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 if you know as at Man City. But there is also the kind of other part of my brain that kind of thinks maybe, you know, he's played at Anfield twice, as far as I can remember. Uh, once in 2007, when he was very young, when Liverpool lost the match to Heidegger Johnson, but went through. And then obviously an experience that will be very fresh in his memory, you know, just over two years ago, the, the, the famous 4-0 that none of us lucky enough to be there will ever forget. Is there a part of his mind that kind of thinks, you know, he, he knows the power of Anfield? He, he, he must have seen, obviously, what Klopp has done, what Klopp has built. Would he be prepared to come and see and only take 200 grand a week or 250 grand a week? Probably not. You know what I mean? I'm probably being hopelessly naive and, and, and a footballing romantic there. But I would just love to kind of see something like that happen. You know, it, it, there is a danger that I think a lot of football fans, maybe of my age, do start to fear that it's just becoming solely about the, not just survival of the fittest, survival of the richest. And it's becoming a like a conglomerate game, and you know you need to be basically owned by an oligarch or a country to compete. I don't think that's what football wants. Oh, I don't think that's what most football fans want, and I don't think it's good for the game. I think without Liverpool, it possibly would have already gone down that route with Manchester City mm -hmm. and PSG and, and that sort of thing. Liverpool well, very much. Pop said it himself in the past, doesn't he? It was when um, Pogba went to United, like eighty-nine million. Doesn't look too much now looking back compared to what, what we're talking about here. But he said when football becomes like that, he walks away, he calls it a day. That, that's why Liverpool are a little bit different because Klopp has built the squad. He won't just go and spend a hundred million here and there on any player just because they're available. But going back to PSG, it's quite nice, isn't it? Like, oh, you miss a title to Lille and you know Lille are in financial ruin, so you're probably going to win it back anyway. But your response is to bring in Donnarumma, Ramos, Wijnaldum and maybe Messi and Pogba. <laughs> it's a completely different stratosphere, aren't we? Yeah, fantasy football, isn't it, for PSG? But we'll uh, we'll move on slightly from Lionel Messi. I'm sure that story isn't going to go anywhere. We may well touch upon that in future as well. But I think we should finish with 
a bit of a chat about this weekend, or certainly Sunday and Monday, Liverpool's final couple of friendlies. Theo, I know you're going to be there for both of those, and there's going to be fans inside Anfield, more fans inside Anfield than there has been for the past, what, 18, 20 months? Yeah, it's going to be a homecoming, isn't it? It's the first time that I've had a chance to see Thiago, Yotta, and it'll be a first chance to really bring in the Premier League champions who, well, they're not anymore, but you know what I mean, to give them that homecoming. They deserve to thank them for how great they were for those bringing the glory days back. And it's one where we know how much Liverpool missed the fans last year. It, this is, can be the start of something special. Like when they went however many years without losing at home, it, granted it's only a friendly, but you're putting a couple of good performances in front of your home fans. It's going to put them in a really good place going into the new season to start another run. It's one where it's against what Bilbao and Osasuna. They're not the biggest La Liga names by any chance, but it gives them a, an opportunity to still get some minutes and legs for players coming back from injury or coming back from international duty and to really start the season in a good way. I just think it's funny that one of these teams is Bilbao when we're talking about uh, the millions of PSG and Man City, Barcelona. And you think, well, this is a team that only has homegrown talent. You have to have this connection to the Basque region to have anything to do with their squad. So it's, a, I suppose, a nice little romantic feeling there, isn't it? That there is still some real traditional football out there and Liverpool fans will be able to see their uh, great players up against a, a traditional Spanish side like that. Dan, we saw Virgil van Dijk and Joe Gomez both play 42 minutes, I think it was, each last night in, in the friendlies. You'd expect to, to see them once again. It, it sort of feels like they're making big progress, even if you wouldn't necessarily expect either of them to, to sort of start the season for Liverpool once it gets underway, of course, against Norwich in, what, eight days' time? Yeah, I think psychologically, when was it last Thursday night when the two of them came off the bench um, in that? They, they lost 4-3. to Berlin, Berlin, we yeah. Berlin while we were yeah. playing football on the pits, wasn't it? Um, <laughs> I, I, that, that, that image of the two of them giving each other a little bit of a hug as they were waiting to come on, I think that was absolute a real sight for sore eyes for Liverpool supporters who obviously miss miss not just them on the pitch but their influence. You know what I mean? You know, obviously, particularly Van Dijk, who is this kind of talismanic talismanic figure. <coughs> the way preseason has gone, you know, that they're even though they, they you know they, the two have been training throughout the summer, basically started, you know, arrived on the first day of training. Obviously, they were at different stages of their re- of their rehabilitation to Joel Matip. And obviously, Canati's had no serious injury problems. So I think the general expectation still seems to be at this moment that it will be Canate and Matip who start at Carrow Road in eight days' time. But um, I think, you know, it, I'm sure both, both Gomez and Van Dijk will get, uh, you know, strong minutes, maybe even a whole game each, depending on how Klopp's going to divide his squad. But they, are, they are two 90-minute matches, aren't they, these two friendlies on yeah, Sunday so. and Monday? And then, and then obviously he's got you know the best part of six days to kind of get his starting eleven in place for Norwich. He, you know he will want to have certainly Van Dijk back in the side sooner rather than later. But obviously after such a severe and serious injury, as Klopp has painstakingly made clear on a number of occasions, particularly during preseason, particularly obviously since Van Dijk's been back amongst the fold, he is not prepared to do anything to jeopardise um, their recovery. And rightly so, when you know, they, they were, it's when was it mid October that the, the, the Van Dyke got done in the Derby match? And you know, so to get so close now, it would be crazy just to kind of get overexcited and throw him in and <coughs> risk a relapse. But uh, you know, Liverpool have got some pretty big matches 
uh, coming up. I think you know the the third weekend of the season, Liverpool home to Chelsea. Uh, the, you know, the European champions probably they were the first real big, meaningful potential kind of title clash of the season. I would be surprised if Van Dijk wasn't back in the side by then. Yeah, Liverpool certainly will be patient, but I'm sure anyone going to either the game on Sunday or Monday will be hoping that they get a fair chunk of Van Dijk and, and Gomez to, to save. And I'm sure the players themselves are looking forward to that as well after such a, a long time away. But uh, we'll finish there with a, a bit of a, a chat on Sadio Mane and, and Diogo Jota. I thought they were really, really sharp for, for Liverpool last night. And, and Mane in particular, I think it's been a big pre-season for him, but for me, yesterday was the first time that I really thought he looked sharp, he looked fit, he looked a lot more like the Sadio Mane that we're used to, to sort of seeing rather than the Sadio Mane that we saw last season. It, it kind of feels like a big season for him and I think a big part of that is starting the season really well, getting into that form and, and maybe getting an early goal or two. Well, he's already got a, a few early goals in pre-season. It's one where he, he needed this rest, didn't he? Like Jurgen Klopp's been banging this drum for so long that players are overworked, that they play too much football and there's not been any chance to rest. And Mane is definitely one of the biggest examples of that. And you think, well, since joining Liverpool, you've had Summer Cup of Nations, you've had World Cups, you've had a pandemic, so he's not really been able to have time off because they've had to finish one season and then rush back for a quick pre-season before the next. And it's one where it took its toll on him last year. It's took its toll on the whole of Paul squad. But he was the one with the ones who suffered most. We heard him come out and say he was worried about his form. He knew he wasn't playing well. He knew he wasn't doing enough. And he got them to do medical tests on him to see if there was actually anything wrong, if there were any underlying issues. They said, no, there's not. And it's just one of those where he needs to recharge his batteries. And he already looks a very different player to the one we saw at Real Madrid away, where he looked like he'd forgotten how to kick a ball, never mind put 30 goals in for Liverpool in a season. And it is an exciting prospect now going into this campaign, just because it's not going to be Mohamed Salah dragging them all on his own anymore if Mane can keep this up. And you'd expect him to be, because he is one of the, the very best in the Premier League. He's one where on, you'd arguably say he's probably a bit more skillful than Salah as well. Like Salah is just this proven winner who will get you goals left, right and centre. But Mane's got a little bit more about him. He's got more of a burst of acceleration. And on their day, it's so hard to choose between the two. And it's what made Liverpool so dangerous for those first two, three years before these injuries. The fact that one of them can have an off day and then you've still got the other one. It was one where, oh, Salah's just scored 40-odd goals in a season. So we'll put two men on him. Oh, wait, now Mane's through on the other wing. He'll go and get 20, 30 goals now. And to have that attacking option back is just great for Jurgen Klopp. It's great for Liverpool. And then Jota as well. Well, he's going to get now, uh, not a full pre-season because he's had to come back late from the Euros, but he gets a chance to really start with the team, really compete for this place. He's not hopefully going to stay injury-free this year, so he's not going to have to miss a chunk of it. And then it's just, well, what does this mean for Roberto Fabinho now? He's got the players around him firing, pushing for this starting role. Can he get back to his best as well? It's what you wanted to see from Liverpool. It's why it's not the end of the world if they weren't able to bring someone else in because they've still got four or five really good attacking players on their day who are capable of scoring 20 goals in a season. And when they're pushing each other on, challenging each other, reaching new levels, it's why they are one of the best attacks in Europe, even without a Messi or an Mbappe or anything. And now it's just hopefully it isn't a false storm. Like we saw glimpses of Mane when he looked like he was getting back to his best towards the end of last season. He's built on that again now and this summer. Now just hit the ground running. Start as you mean to go on. He, he does like starting a season well. He does like the odd goal against Norwich. 
hopefully it's all coming together nicely for him to uh, really have a really good campaign and go back to two years ago when he was like winning the golden boot and showing why he is one of the best around. Yeah, I think it could be a big season for both Jota and Money, but we'll have to see how they got on at the uh, at the weekend. We'll, uh, of course, be back on Tuesday with the Blood Red podcast because that game is on Monday. Plenty more content around the matches to come before then, though, as well. If you haven't already, make sure to head over to www.bloodredpodcast.co.uk to sign up for our Blood Red Club as well. But that will just about do us for today. From myself, Matt Addison, Dan Kay and Theo Squires, until next time, goodbye. This is the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.